0: Welcome to On Balance. I'm your host, Dr. Rod Berger. I'll be your guide as we explore the stories of today with the personalities impacting tomorrow. Welcome to On Balance. Well, I'm going to tell everybody this is an incredible treat uh, to have our next guest on. I think that so many of us are trying to understand uh, how we can sort of sit in a world um of technology and see how ai and uh you know with chat gpt we're just trying to understand where education fits in all of this so i'm really excited to be spending time with bill salak he is the cto and svp of operations at brainly so many of you know brainly uh they are across the globe uh, we've got, you know, millions of users in 35 countries, uh, but then let me tell you a little bit about Bill. He has more than 20 years of experience overseeing large-scale development projects and has more than 24 years of experience in web application architecture and development. He founded and served as CTO of multiple internet and web development companies, leading technology projects for companies including Age of Learning, AOL, Educational Testing Systems, Film LA, Hasbro, HBO, Highlights for Children, NBC Universal, and the U.S. Army. Bill, so nice to spend some time with you. It feels like if there's anybody who's going to be able to shed some light on what's going on and how we can incorporate in these new technologies into our educational environments, it would be you. Now, you have at Brainly your knowledge base of over 250 million high-quality and accurate answers. And I'm wondering how, sort of take me back to the conversation at Brainly when you sat there and said, wait a minute, we're sitting on all of this data. And we're trying to figure out how do we support our user base, not just now, but in the future. Take us into some of those initial conversations.
1: Yeah, so thanks for having me. And let me let me say the conversation started on my interview process coming into the company. Um, (laughs) I was actually working for Age of Learning at the time, and I wasn't looking to make a um, I was happy with where I was and I was doing some work that I was really proud of and and wanted to continue. And um, and Brandon came calling and I was like, okay, you know, let's talk to these guys. Let's see what they're all about. And I very quickly realized that they had the data and the position to solve a problem that I had been working on for, you know, at that point over 18 years, uh, had taken various, you know, attempts at solving in different ways with different um, project sponsors, different companies that I'd worked for. And I just saw this opportunity in their data and in their use case where we could build something super meaningful um, that solved problems in a novel way, and that it was really a pivot in addressing this problem with uh, EdTech um, that I had been, you know, that i had been taking a stab at. Um, but it was a fundamental shift in the, you know, a potential fundamental shift. So that was the beginning. That was the hey, do you know what you have here? Uh, And then it very quickly turned into, okay, I want to be a part of this. Bring me on. So walk
0: Um, me through that if you don't mind me. So let's interject there. So when you say you know what you have here, because I think that's so key. So many people, you know, it's like any industry, right? You sort of have the blinders on, understandably so. You're sort of in the proverbial lab trying to figure out how do we, I mean, we went from, my goodness, let's digitize like in 2010 to 2013. And then it was, wait a minute, we've got AR, we have VR, we have, you know, sort of yeah, remote devices, all these sorts of things. So when you say, do you guys know what you have? What were you looking at? And not so much that Brainley didn't notice that, but just in essence, what were you seeing as an outsider that said to you, like a blinking light, like a neon sign, you know, Bill, you've got to dive into
1: this. So this is gonna be something we we'll probably call back to later. Um so it's 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 a really important point to to sort of get right, um, so you understand. And it's nuanced, but in most ed tech products, the way that they're solving for education is by building um, access to content and curriculum in a way that's scaffolded and then injecting some form of formative or summative assessment in the process, right? So the call to action that you put on your learners, the, the, the thing in which you measure whether or not they're getting it, is a part of your product that you're either gamifying or you're you know, modeling sort of what's happening in the offline world—take a quiz, take a test, etc.—but it's a it's a point of proving your knowledge, right? And this is how we then understand whether or not the learner is ready to move forward to the next lesson, or whether or not they've fully grasped the thing that you're trying to teach them. Brainly is not that. Brainly does not build curriculum or content. What they do is they provide a platform in which learners are reaching out for help so every interaction with brandley is a point in which we've identified that a learner needs help with this concept right it's 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 not an artificial you know we're going to scaffold the content and send you through it it's a learner literally saying i need to know this better right which is which is a huge shift right it's a, it's a it's a differentiation in the product but it's a, it's a huge shift in the way that you address that learner and collecting what they know and don't know Um, and that that particular thing at scale allows you to do a lot of really important things with data you can then start to look at and analyze historical usage over time to look for patterns in a particular learner's behavior and then cohort those learners into patterns of people who act similarly then allows you to build predictive models to say, oh, this cohort of learners who act similarly, you know, we've seen them before. We've we've seen this person fit into this cohort and we know how they act so we can make a prediction about what they'll need next before they even ask for help. And that sort of predictive uh, intervention or or predicting what a learner needs is the holy grail in ed tech. It's the thing that everybody wants to be able to build to like get in front of the problem, right? And and in this way, we can do this with pretty traditional techniques in in terms of uh, statistics and machine learning.
0: So I'm tracking with you. Uh, I was wondering if I was going to track, and I hope the audience as well. Okay, this makes incredible sense. So my interpretation of what you're saying is it's a little bit of deconstructing. It's sort of like when I was a kid and I would want to sort of, you know, the old VCR, let's take it apart and see if we can put it back together, see how these parts work. And that in deconstructing that, you start to learn more about the the path of a learner, and then you can put them into cohorts where you're starting to see some trends that allow you to then create predictive analytics that would then impact interventions. So two things. <clears throat> this would tell me that we are highly dependent on a user base, a student body throughout the ages. And I'm sure they. M- maybe it's easier with the younger than it is the older, because there's such digital natives um, that they have to feel comfortable enough so now we're talking a little social, emotional, a little right on the on the cognitive side to be able to reach out and say or identify this is a challenge that they're having. Now, you and I both share the same gender and historically, we're terrible at reaching out to doctors if we've got some malady, right? Um, so walk me through that part of it, because this makes so much more sense to me than something that looks slick, that's based on curriculum, and you sort of, this map that doesn't, still doesn't feel like it matches what I want, but maybe it checks the box for the adults that are creating these systems. So I really like what you're talking about, but help me understand that one key intersection, which is Brainly and the student and or the teacher and and, or parent, I guess, that is helping to identify whatever that challenge is, and then sort of connect into the power of Brainly.
1: Yeah, so What what everyone needs to understand is that the basic interaction, the the smallest unit of interaction on Brandly is that a learner has a question. They're, They're challenged with a topic, they're challenged with a particular question, and they need a high quality answer or explanation. And so they come to Brandly and they search for an answer for their question. They're putting in a question, they're trying to find an answer within our knowledge base for that question. Because our use case is educational, it's homework help. We know that whenever a learner is asking a question, it's a call for help. It's a it's an, it's an action with intent where they're looking for help in answering that question. So automatically built into our use case, we have the identification of a need. Now, once you identify that and you have learners at scale, users at scale. Patterning that and looking at that from a statistical point of view is really no different than what you're experiencing every day in other products that you're probably commonly interacting with, like YouTube, like Netflix, where it's, hey, people who act like you also tend to like these other things. It's, it's you know, at that point, it's a well-known problem. It's a problem of, hey, learners who ask the questions you've been asking and also ask this other question but it all starts with that in, initial intent and that's what that's how we're able to solve this problem more effectively using those traditional techniques the intent is that they're asking for help every time they're interacting with us you know
0: and what are they getting connected the to bill so once so if i'm a student and i'm connected into brainly and we've identified whatever that, that challenge that problem issue that is or that hurdle for me in learning what am i getting connected to talk about the interventions or sort of that next phase
1: yeah, so a lot of this is in various stages of development, um, and I can tell you, you know, we're talking about the the potential and the possibility that we originally rec- that I originally recognized just in the the introduction that I had to Brandley. and there's a lot that I've been working with Brainly about what makes a good answer and what learners actually need and how different um, each classroom can be, where learners can be asking the same question but actually need a different answer. So this is where we get into concepts of personalizing answers. And the way that we we put this is, you know, we want to give you the answer that your teacher would have given. Um, a very simple way that I frame this is, you know, imagine a learner goes up to their teacher in the classroom and says, hey, teacher, I have this question. Um, can you help me? What's, you know, can you help me understand this? The teacher does not go up to the board write 10 things down point at it and say hey one of these things may be helpful go figure it out right the teacher hopefully if they're a good teacher is going to consider what the learner how the learner has been performing in the class like what how they've been doing on their homework assignments how did they do on their quizzes what's been taught in the class previously what will be taught next and the teacher probably has a pretty good understanding that this learner is asking this question because they have some, some weakness in a predicate concept. Like there's something that they didn't quite get last week or two weeks ago. And that, and understanding that was a necessity to understanding the thing that they're now asking about. Now that's not always the case. It could just be very superficial, like, hey, it, it, you just don't get this concept. But what we've seen in our research uh, in talking to expert educators is that this is really what they're doing. Uh, and this is the basis of tutoring. It's not, it's not, hey, let me give you the information you're asking for. It's let me understand why you're struggling with this and address the underlying concept, right? So this comes back to historical patterns, um, but also adapting the answers that we give to incorporate what we've learned from historical patterns. Uh, where were you struggling previously? And is that contributing to the question you're asking now? But also, how are you being taught in the classroom? Because again, research coming out of our uh, out of one of my teams that that studies the education systems shows that even across, let's say, uh, this is an example that we studied, seventh grade biology textbooks, which are you know pretty narrow in focus in terms of them teaching the same points of information, but in comparing these two biology textbooks, even though they taught the same things, they taught them in different orders. The concepts were taught in different orders. So at any point, a student in one textbook may be introduced to concepts that a student using the other textbook had not yet been introduced to. But also that the textbooks had up to 85% exclusivity in the vocabulary they were using to describe these concepts. That means even the words that are used in the answer or the explanation, May be familiar or foreign to the learner based on who's answering and who's asking, right? So you can't just take a kid out of one classroom, drop them into another classroom, and expect that the teacher's answer, which undoubtedly would be factually correct, is going to be helpful because the teacher may be answering that question with an assumption of what the student has already been exposed to using vocabulary the student doesn't understand. And it's about matching that classroom experience and trying to wrap that answer, wrap that knowledge in the context that the learner's already immersed in. So this personalization is about filling in the knowledge gaps, but also doing it in a way that reinforces the system they're using to learn these things.
0: Let's talk about the answers. So you have you have over 250 million, and I'm sure that's climbing or that gets out of date sort of every day, uh, high quality answers. So based on the data that, you, that you'll now be pulling in, will this? how will this impact the types of answers, the quality of answers, sort of the, maybe the presentation of the answers and, or, you know, do we even talk anymore about learning styles? Is that a part of the assumption or the way in which, because you and I could have very different learning styles and we could have been in different sequences within that biology textbook. And so I would imagine that if we're personalizing it somehow, we would want to factor in these elements or am I going too far afield?
1: No, I think... (sighs) So the the debate on learning styles could be a whole separate podcast (laughs) and and probably include people. You mean
0: education is complex?
1: (laughs) (laughs) And and, and that could be that's that's probably a discussion had with people who understand this way better than I do. But what I can tell you for sure, um, how we think about education, how we think about uh, learning, um, we ask these questions, very basic questions in our in our research. What is learning and how do we know when it's happening? And the best sort of description I can give you um, or picture of this mental model that I can give you is that imagine learning is a puzzle and everything you, learning a concept, uh, the the thing you're learning is represented by a puzzle. And all the things you know about that concept are the pieces of the puzzle you've connected. So you're starting to see the picture and and, and you know how these pieces fit together. And all the things you've not yet learned about this concept are the pieces off to the side. The process of learning is picking up one of those pieces that you haven't connected and understanding where it fits into the bigger picture and putting it in there. So your, your understanding of the relationships between all of these pieces of information about the concepts start to form that clear mental model, right? So regardless of the learning style, the process is taking information you don't know and connecting it to information you do know. And that can happen in a lot of different ways. It can happen through a high-quality explanation, a video, um, in an audio format. Like the delivery isn't necessarily as important as making sure that the learner gets access to high-quality information in a way that they can digest it and connect it to what they already know. So yes, we absolutely think about that. Um, But it applies mostly to okay, are we using concepts and vocabulary to explain this thing that the learner is gonna struggle with? And if they are gonna struggle with these things, how do we give them help to overcome those struggles so that they can connect that puzzle piece and get a clearer picture of what it is they're learning? Um, but what's interesting here, and this is, this is something that uh, I think we struggle with culturally uh, in the US, is that at no point in, in this conversation did I say, you have to go on a hunt to find those puzzle pieces. You don't. You're not like searching the house for the puzzle pieces and 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 digging them out of the ground, right? Like that's something that is still embedded in the way that we think about education. Um, and this is a difference between what's happening now in AI and how people have learned. You know, when I went to high school, access to information and the struggle to gain access to information is not an indicator of whether or not you're learning something. So gating access to information um, doesn't mean that that learning experience is better. In fact, you know, today we all have access to high quality information in our pockets. And that's not gonna change. It's only gonna get easier. And I think we're seeing that now with ChatGPT and other AI that access to information is easier. Um, but we need to make sure in a learning environment that, that, ac- that the information that's being accessed is high quality And it's able to be digested by the student in a way that helps them build that puzzle, right? They need to be able to connect that information to what they already know. And that's the personalization point.
0: I love it because I feel like we're actually defining personalization. I feel like that that was a term that was sexy at conferences. It was great to talk about, you know, at a cocktail party and these sorts of things. But we really didn't understand what that looked like. And I love the reverse engineering of this because it it actually is student-centered another term that has been bantied about for years. And we've kind of said, is it really student-centered? Let's, let's pivot a bit, uh, Bill, to the industry itself. I would, I'm just going to imagine that what you guys are doing is, if it has not already, created some significant waves in the industry. And if I am a, well, I want to, tell me about that. Okay. Are you a learning management system? Where do you fit in the learning platform sort of ecosystem? Because again, that's been a, a term that people have used in ways that, you know, I feel it's, it's been quite a stretch, (laughs) but maybe it's helped in their sales and it's helped just in creating a vernacular that district, you know, superintendents and leaders could could recognize and then potentially purchase. Are you a learning management system? Sort of like, how do you identify yourself? And then we'll go back into what I was saying previously.
1: Yeah. So we, we are a peer to peer learning platform. We are the world's largest educational platform and we are not an LMS. We are we are strictly a, a um, if you wanted to define us in familiar terms, a Q&A style platform where learners can come and ask questions and get high quality explanations and answers. Got it. We, help, we, we unblock students by giving them access to this high quality information and it's self-directed. They're asking the questions and finding those answers and explanations.
0: I appreciate that clarification. Uh, I just think it helps people chalk the field. Uh, okay, so... I, so let's go back to the previous question, which is the impact on the industry, because I'm not the head of a learning management system. I've interviewed plenty of leaders of learning management systems and content providers. I would think that they would be lining up at the door because this feels like it's like the key that unlocks all these other elements that they have. And, and maybe I'm wrong, um, but and not for you to share sort of trade secrets in this regard, but just let's talk about industry impact for those that have been sitting, it's kind of back to your early days when you first chatted with Brainly like, do you guys really realize what you have? It feels like you could turn, you know, over your left shoulder and say, hey, to the other groups, do you know what we have? Uh, and it feels like it could be this sort of supercomputer um, nexus for education around the world.
1: Well, I certainly think it is. <laughs> um, and you know, that's I'm preaching why to I the choir up. here, Bill. Yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> why I signed up. And that's the thing we're hoping to build. But, it, but I think it goes beyond that. And let me let me frame this for you in um, in sort of popular trending terms, so you can you can sort of see the picture that I see. So largely in the ed tech products and in the application of AI that I've been working on, and the things that I've seen, have been exactly what I explained before. It's you know we control the content, we we control the curriculum, we scaffold it, and then we provide some pathing through the content in which we can do some assessment, and then make sure that you're on the right path. We want to challenge you enough that you stay engaged but we don't wanna challenge you so much that you get frustrated. So let's find that balance um, and let's let's pack you through the content. But it requires that you control the content and that you scaffold it and that you teach your way, right? So what's really interesting about Brandy from the beginning is that it was always outside of the system. It was student asking a question about the things that they're learning in the classroom and getting help from other students—that's how it started. Student to student, you know, some people have an answer here, some people have an answer there. Nobody knows everything, but everybody knows something. So they were helping each other, and that through a huge community of self-help, student-directed learning. Now, what's happening now in ChatGPT is is very much aligned with what we're seeing, and and the application of ChatGPT and why it's got so much potential for education is exactly the same use case of why Brainly has been so successful, students can reach out and use this AI AI now and pull it into their classroom experience. It's no longer like an external curriculum is being pushed into the classroom and the teacher is being displaced or asked to learn some new technology in order to teach, right? This is Coming in because the student's pulling it in, asking for help, and they're able to ask the questions about their content, their curriculum, and get help on that. That's extremely powerful. And again, we know it's powerful because that's what our product does. Um, Now, what ChatGPT will struggle with um, and where we come in is in, in the ability to personalize down to the level that I've already described, right? Understanding the learning gaps, understanding the historical questions, and being able to fill those gaps in a way that matches the content they're already learning. So we really see ourselves as a support system for the student and the teacher and being able to take this AI and take you know, the things we've already been doing, merge them together and build an even more powerful system, which is essentially highly personalized learning that's student directed, but it supports the outcomes of the teacher. Right, we're te- we're not trying to teach it different. We're not trying to teach different content. We're not asking the teacher to become tech support for some new product. What we're trying to do is help the student learn the content in the way that the teacher is teaching it. So it's it is a support system. It's a it's a productivity enhancer for the teacher um, to use, kind of bland terms.
0: I love it. It's it's instead of an either or, it's an and, and it shows. It says to me. That the conversations internally at Brainly are thoughtful. I mean, every company has its challenges, but they're thoughtful in trying to understand context, not just in what you're developing, but also in who's utilizing it, sort of what are these second degree implications of. What we're building i.e the teacher right and sort of how do we create buy-in and support um i think that's very thoughtful because that was one of the initial challenges when we were in the digital world of digitize everything it was well wait a minute are we replacing the teacher no that's not even on the table here um this is sort of a beautiful marriage between human and machine in that manner um let's close with this so going back to that initial meeting with brainly um I'm going to make a wild guess here that you're able to scratch more than one itch that you went, that you came in with and that the challenges are sort of every day, but these are the kind of challenges that really light up your brain uh, in what you do.
1: That's right. I mean, you know, I've been, I've been not exclusively working on ed tech my whole career. I've worked on quite a few things. Um, Some of them more socially impactful than others. And what I've, what I reached at some point in my career was an understanding that I can make money in a lot of different ways, and that my skill sets can be applied to a lot of different market segments. But the things that really excite me are the things that have high social impact and can help change the world. So, at the end of the day, that's the thing that I'm doing at Brainly that I value the most. It's not necessarily you know the technology. It's not necessarily you know the fact that we have this really novel unique position in being able to solve um, ed tech in a different way, uh, that I think is really the Holy Grail. It's the fact that it has a huge impact on people's lives.
0: It's really, it, it says a lot about you. Uh, I'm already a big fan of you, Bill, because you, you've got obviously the chops in the CTO world, but you have a, uh, a thoughtful approach that humanizes it in a way that I think we desperately need. And Brainly's, I think, very lucky to have you. And, and we are in the education space. What a pleasure to spend some time with Bill Salak He is the CTO and SVP of operations at Brainly. Uh, where should people go to learn more about Brainly and uh, all the really amazing things you guys are developing?
1: In the U.S., come to Brainly.com. Uh, we have a market site for most countries out there, but um, I'm guessing this is a U.S. audience, so <laughs> Brainly.com is your best bet.
0: Wonderful. Well, Bill, such a pleasure. Continued success. Have a wonderful summer. And I look forward to our next conversation. We would thank Bill Salek of Brandley. I'm your host, Dr. Rod Berger. This concludes another chapter of On Balance. Connect with me via LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. I'm Dr. Rod Berger.